Hey guys, I'm Valerie. And I'm Jasmine, and this is Crafts, Drafts, and Crime. We want to thank you for continuing to listen, and today, um, as I warned you last week, we are going to dive way back into the terrible, terrible things. Last week was your very small break from being severely depressed, so this is your warning now. This is not going to be a good time, just so you know. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm ready. Okay, um, I'm sick, everybody. I'm sick. Yeah, so ignore that she sounds so, like shit. <laughs> right, 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 right. I'm like, so my nose is clogged up. So, uh, yeah, don't mind me. <laughs> it's okay. You can do as little talking as you want today. I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> but uh, we are going to be taking a trip today to Uganda, which is in Africa. Do you know where in Africa it is? Uganda. Um, I feel like we've done an episode before that was in Uganda. So do you know where it is? Um, no, I forgot, but I know of it. Okay, I feel like a lot of people probably aren't super familiar with the geography of Africa. Um, it, I mean, honestly, it's the, the continent that I'm the least familiar with, but I'm very good at geography, so I still am fairly familiar with it. Um, Uganda is in the eastern, like, central part of Africa. So, um, but on the east, I mean, like, central, like, um between north and south but very eastern it's not coastal though it is bordering tanzania and um what's above it um i think malawi oh, and so that's kind of the area that we're in i feel like tanzania is a country that a lot of people know so we're in that region um, um it's sorry it's to the east of kenya too yep mm-hmm so we're right over there. So just to give you a little bit of, um, you know, reference point for that in case you are not super familiar. So today, the cult that we're going to be talking about is the Movement for the Restoration of the Ten Commandments of God, which is a mouthful. <laughs> and I have been thinking about how on earth I'm going to fit that onto one of those li pretty little pictures that I like to put on our Instagram page, but I'm going to make it work. Um, very long, very long name. Um, sources for today are the New York Times, News 18, Monitor.co.ug, BBC News, The Guardian, AP News, Murderpedia, ReligiousTolerance.org, Fox News, Center for Studies on New Religions.org, The East African, EDUKid.org, Washington Post, and NTV Uganda. So lots of good Lots of good things. Um, I do want to start out, too, with this case with a little disclaimer. Um, because it's so remote where all of this stuff was happening and there's not that much known about the past and there was a lot of lack of resources and it's such a severe event that I'm going to discuss, the actual number of victims in the crime that we're going to talk about that's related to this cult is not known. So each number that I share with you today is a very educated estimate given from the investigators of this case. So when I'm giving you numbers, they are very rough numbers. Just so you know. Um, and we're going to start okay. off on a pretty terrible note. 
Um, and from there, I'm going to give you some educational things. So we're going to start with um, the event, I guess we'll call it. So on March 17th of 2000, which is St. Patrick's Day, and in Kanunga, Uganda, police were notified of an explosion that happened at a church. And it is the same church that they were invited to go to on the following day, March 18th, for an inauguration party. Well, as it turns out, this invitation was just a way for the cult to escape suspicion of the events leading up to March 17th. So when police arrived, the windows and doors were boarded up on the inside to prevent anyone from exiting the church. Inside, they found 330 skulls. The actual number that... 330? 330. But they estimate that the actual this number of... Threw me off. <laughs> Why? I don't know. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's, it's just going to get worse. And they actually think that there were up to about 500 people who perished inside of the church that day. A lot of people, though, were burned beyond recognition. So 330... Holy is their known number, but they think it's significantly higher than that because a lot of people were completely converted to ash. So that's where this, you know, wow. estimation of people is coming from as we continue on with this. So of the skulls found, 78 were confirmed to belong to children. So the day before, members feasted one final meal of a freshly slaughtered cow and a lot of Coca-Cola. Witnesses say that the last known thing to have happened before the explosion at the church was the singing of the people inside of the church, of the people who had been tricked into thinking that Virgin Mary was coming to bring them to heaven that day. In the weeks leading up to the fire, members of the cult sold all of their possessions or gave them away. And it's unclear whether or not people doused themselves in gasoline or if they were doused in gasoline by the leaders of the cult. But police began to believe the latter after further investigation because what appeared to be a mass suicide at first inside of this church started to look more like a mass murder. Just a few days after the explosion, police stumbled across a really harrowing sight. There were five pit toilets in a location that was frequently used by the cult leaders that were freshly covered with cement. Well, beneath the cement, they found 11 bodies. Of these bodies, three of them had their stomachs slit open, some had been poisoned, and others had been beaten, and some had even been burned with battery acid. So that oh. acid, I know, that acid just a few days before, one of the leaders, whose name is Dominic Catarababo, had purchased 50 liters of. So police are also considering that maybe the acid aided in the fire. They don't know. Um, but Dominic's body, unlike the body of the other cult leaders, was found inside of the church. And he was able to be identified. Remember, I said they're mostly ash. But he had a dog collar with his name on it. And it was burned into his chest. So they were oh able to God. identify him. Mm -hmm. In Bahanga, at another location of the cult's compound, 
Another 153 bodies were found in a mass grave underneath the building. Many of them had been beaten or slaughtered to death. And then Dominic's house was searched. This house he sold just days before the fire. Because remember, people are selling their possessions and if they have a home, they're selling their homes. Well, people who knew him or lived near him noticed that he had been digging a lot in the backyard, but nobody really thought it was that odd. Until police uncovered 155 bodies buried in his backyard. 155. This just sounds like death, death, and more death. Like, it's insane. This is crazy. It is. So police believe that the deceased have to have been buried there for at least a month and noted that many had been stabbed or strangled to death. Joseph Nymerinda, who was a non-ordained church leader of the cult, had 81 bodies, 44 of which were children, buried on his farm. This was particularly alarming because neighbors had noticed that pickup trucks were making routine deliveries late into the night, around 2 a.m. since the beginning of the year 2000. And they figured that this had something to do with the shop that the cult had opened or other supplies needed for his farm. But now it's predicted that those late night pickup truck deliveries were actually deliveries of dead bodies ready for burial. A large fence prevented neighbors from watching any other activity that was going on at the farm, so nobody had any idea. So it's possible that bodies are buried in more locations that are currently unknown to the police. In total, at least 924 victims died as a result of their membership to this cult during that very brief period of time. Holy fuck. There's like a thousand, like a thousand people basically. What the fuck? It's an alarmingly high now. I mean, I've never heard of such a number. You know what I mean? In this kind of a situation that's terrifying and in such a short period of time. So I want to tell you a little bit about the different leaders and the different founders of this cult. So Joseph Kibwatiri was 68 at the time of the fire. He was considered to be the founder and the prophet of the cult. He was born in 1932 in Ragama, which is in western Uganda. His first career was as a teacher, first in a traditional school before becoming a headmaster in a Catholic school. He briefly joined the civil service, but decided that he may want to be a politician. Well, he attempted to make a name for himself in the Democratic Party, but he didn't really succeed. So he decided to open up a bar. In 1960, he married a woman named Teresa, and they went on to have a few kids. And then there's Credonia Merwende, who was 48 at the time of the fire. And there are conflicting reports about Credonia's past. Some sources claim that she was a sex worker prying to running what's called Independence Bar that sold banana beer and liquor with her common-law husband, Eric. Others claim that she was merely promiscuous, but she was never formally involved in sex work. Either way, Cordonia had four children, and when the bar business, which she co-owned with Eric, went bankrupt, Cordonia turned to religion. 
Her father, who had been a Catholic school teacher, had claimed to have visions of his deceased daughter, um, Evangelista, in the early 1960s. So on August 24th of 1988, a week before leaving Eric, Credonia had a vision of Virgin Mary. She claims that a stone in the mountains was the spitting image of the Virgin Mary, and she was able to speak directly to her. So this reputation would follow her movements in the cult as she had to consult in Virgin Mary and therefore had to make all of the decisions of the cult. So she was kind of referred to as the cult's programmer. So four months after she had this initial vision, the Kibwatiri showed up to listen to Credonia's public testimony of her visions of Virgin Mary. Well, Credonia exclaimed that she had been instructed by the Virgin Mary to go to this specific town to, quote, find a man called Kibwatiri. So they took her to his home and then she was told she told him basically that he was supposed to spread her message to the world. So shortly after this, Joseph Kibwatiri was also claiming to see visions of the Virgin Mary, which, you know, maybe. Well, Cordonia moved into the Kibwatiri's home, along with her sister, Ursula, and two female friends. And according to Teresa, which again is Joseph's wife, she, quote, took over her husband's life. She isolated Joseph from his wife and his children, and even had the audacity to beat his children and demanded their obedience. She also denied Joseph from having any sexual relations with his wife. Can you imagine? I cannot imagine somebody coming in that I barely know beating my freaking children because I will beat them. Second, how are you going to come up in here in my house and tell me that I cannot do the freaky deaky with my husband? The Who are you? Deaky. I don't care if you see the Virgin Mary and bread. No. Wait, did you say you don't care if she sees bread? I said, I don't care if she sees the Virgin Mary in bread. She ain't going to tell oh. me what to do. <laughs> That's such a weird, <laughs> weird thing to say. Okay. <laughs> well, no, because have you never, have you ever like seen videos of people who see like Jesus and toast? No. Oh my god, bro. In Tampa, there was this building with like a glass like wall basically. Um and on it, so I guess they had like maybe it was like rain or sprinklers or some shit. Basically, um it left like a stain on the windows and it looked like the Virgin Mary. Like any, we would go past it sometimes, and there would be like a shit ton of cars just stopped on the side of the road trying to take a picture of this, like, masterpiece or something. It was really weird. That is really weird. But you know, maybe, maybe it was the Virgin Mary. Did you consider that? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I could see it definitely, but. 
if you know the person who originally said oh this is a virgin mary came up in my house and tried to beat my kid that's a whole nother level i don't know we're not doing that i agree with you 100 percent. she definitely <laughs> um she definitely carried a lot of weight on joseph's actions and i don't understand it at all but that is what it is the children, along with other children of the extended family, were eventually moved to a shed outside of the house with windows that were nailed shut and they were forced to sleep in the dirt. I cannot make this shit up. Additionally, Ursula burned Teresa's clothing and Credonia got violent with her. So the extended family resisted this, urging Joseph to move the women out. They were like, what the fuck? Why are you doing this to your family? But he refused. He was like, no, they're going to stay here. So the extended family aided in having the women removed from the home. And Joseph decided to go with them. He said that Teresa was not his wife and that his kids were not his kids. Look, I'm just saying, I don't care if you've seen the Virgin Mary in a stone or in bread, as you say. That is still your wife and your children. But okay. Exactly. The fact that you're okay with you know, the decision to put your children in the shed where they sleep on the um, dirt is not okay. Like, that just shows what type of human being you are. Right, and it makes all the rest of this make perfect sense, honestly, to me. So in 1990, Joseph officially started the movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God. The Catholic Church resisted this, which led to the cult's movement to um, Kanungu, excuse me, in 1993, which is where Credonia's father donated to them 10 acres of land to build their sect. Well, later that year, the Uganda government permitted it to be a religious, non-governmental organization, which allowed them to carry on their practices throughout the country legally. So if somebody were to want to become a member, and actually let me let me preface this. Um, I do want everybody to keep in mind in regards to people who were going to join this cult that Uganda had previously been through a lot of turmoil. So I'm assuming that a lot of people don't know that much about the past of Uganda, but in addition to having been under the rule of a very brutal president, I.D. Amin, from years 1971 to 1979, whose nickname was literally the Butcher of Uganda, they also had a civil war from 1980 to 1986, which killed upwards of 500,000 people. So, and to this day, they also have an incredibly high death toll due to AIDS and HIV. So the promise of being saved is something that's very compelling in any place, but especially when you're living in a place like Uganda at this point in time where this is what you know. So to me, it makes sense that people would be interested in something like this. You know, being told you're going to be saved. I think it's a lot of the reason why people find religion and things like that. So there were two large dormitories that separated the men and the women. On Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, those were considered fasting days. So they had to follow a very strict schedule. From three until five in the morning, members participated in prayer. From five until seven in the morning, they would go back to sleep. From 7 in the morning until 1 in the afternoon, they would work. From 1 till 2 in the afternoon, they would pray. 
They were allowed free time until about four o'clock in the afternoon, and then they would have to work until eight o'clock in the afternoon. At that point in time, they were finally able to eat. At 11 p.m., they said a nightly prayer, and then they went to bed. And then, well, the time schedule is just a pinch different. Um, on the non-fasting days, which were um, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, Sundays were completely different, um, though they were non-fasting also. But Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, they also got up around the same time. So you're looking at, like, over the course of a night, getting maybe four to five hours of sleep, which is insane. Yeah, I would be really angry if I only got four to five hours of sleep right. a day. And you were forced to do labor, like physical labor. So twice, not just yeah. once, twice. Yeah. And the only difference is on those non-fasting days, they were given a light meal for lunch, which is usually very minimal, which they considered as part of their sacrifice. Like it would be like a cup of porridge or something like this, something not substantial. So in addition to barely getting any sleep and not having sufficient substantial meals, I would be the angriest person on the planet, but that is what they consider to be their sacrifice. And I do respect that in a lot of ways. I think that's incredibly difficult. I cannot imagine. But anyways, on Sundays, no work or activity was permitted because it's the day of the Lord. So at least on Sundays, they got to completely relax. So members of the cult were given a uniform to wear. For new recruits, it was all black. For those who had read and seen the Ten Commandments, they wore green. And for those who were like full-blown flower, full, flowers, fo- followers, <laughs> excuse me. For those who were full-born, full, <laughs> full-blown followers. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Thank you. Full, full-blown. Y'all, stop what you're doing and try to say that in, in like in as fast as I talk. Full-blown followers that is very difficult um who the cult regarded as quote those who are ready to die in the ark they wore green and white and this ark is actually referring to noah's ark they compared themselves a lot to noah's ark and always wanted people to be basically ready to die for lack of a better way of putting it their uniforms were essentially long robes. They covered like your entire arm and your legs down to your ankles. And women were also required to cover their heads with a veil that matched whatever color their uniform was. So the beliefs in this church are very simple. Follow the Ten Commandments and you will be saved from eternal damnation during the apocalypse that would happen at the beginning of the millennial. So followers held to a very strict set of rules, which included refraining from sex, the use of soap, they couldn't wear shoes, they had to frequently fast, and they had to even limit their talking so that they wouldn't accidentally break the ninth commandment, which is not bearing false witness against thy neighbor. So for this reason, people used sign language to communicate. They literally didn't even speak to each other. That's how closely... They followed these commandments, terrified of breaking any of the rules. So, in books written by the leaders that members were required to read, a very peculiar message was inside. And that message is, quote, All of you living on the planet, listen to what I'm going to say. When the year 2000 is complete, the year that will follow will not be year 2001. 
The year that will follow shall be called year one and a generation that will follow the present generation. The generation that will follow will have few or many people, depending on who will repent. The Lord told me that hurricanes of fire would rain forth from heaven and spread over all of those who would not have repented. So, members took that very close to heart, and they were told that in in preparation for this apocalypse, I am so sorry. (laughs) I am struggling. (laughs) And members are told that in preparation for this apocalypse, it would be in their best interest to sell all of their belongings and bring all of their money to the sect. So people did. But the world didn't end on the last day of 1999. And so chaos started ensuing, and cult members were confused, they were distrusting, and they began breaking rules. They started mingling with people outside of the cult, which was forbidden, and they were talking. And most of all, they were asking questions, and they were asking for their money back. People sold literally everything that they owned. So the leader's response was very simple. Well, Virgin Mary reappeared and extended the end of the world until March 17th. Obviously. (laughs) As she does. (laughs) As she does. I mean, it's her right. She's the one who's going to end it, right? So this didn't gain everybody's trust, needless to say, but it actually did satisfy a lot of people. And for anybody who was still concerned, they were encouraged to write a letter of grievance for discussion. Well, many of these people were never seen again and are presumably part of the later findings of those killed in mass graves in these people's backyards. When leaders were questioned about their disappearance, they said that they were simply transferred to a different compound and people believed them. So after all of this, police decided that they needed to search for two people who they thought may have gotten away from the explosion at the church, who were Joseph Kibwetiri and Credonia. So in their search for Joseph, police uncovered some very alarming news. Not only had he been secretly visiting a psychiatric hospital and he was labeled with a psychotic illness per his psychiatrist, he stopped receiving treatment for his manic depression a year prior. And I'm not suggesting in any way, I just want to clarify that, there's anything wrong with having a mental illness. I am, however, saying that those who licensed the cult or believed in the apocalypse that Joseph preached may have felt a little bit differently knowing that he was a manic depressive who was untreated and hearing this man saying that the world is going to end. Maybe they would have felt a little bit differently about that. Either way, witnesses claim that they saw Joseph and Credonia leaving the camp the morning of the fire. They were put on an international watch list, but to this day have never been found. It is possible that they did in fact die in the fire, though. But police believe that they ran off with all of the money that everyone gave to the sect leading up to the quote-unquote apocalypse. This money was never recovered. So somebody did something with it. And again, it's possible that it burned in the fire. But just as a reminder, most bodies were unidentifiable in the aftermath. I personally believe that they ran off, but nothing has ever been proven. And people have also claimed to have seen Joseph in like years since in like Malawi and Tanzania and all those neighboring countries. But 
people say that about everybody who's missing. So who knows? Who knows if it's really him? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. I think they definitely ran out with money. It makes sense. Sure. It totally makes sense. Yeah. So Uganda's vice president, Dr. Kazibwe, apologized for the failure to stop the cult before these events took place. She said of it, quote, These were callously well-orchestrated mass murders perpetrated by a network of diabolic, malevolent criminals masquerading as religious people, which is very true. But in addition to allowing their sect to be an official organization and being ignorant to the activities of the cult, the government was also really ill-prepared to deal with the incident. So prisoners were actually the ones who ended up digging up and then reburying the bodies that were found in these different locations. And they were decomposing at the time. Because remember, a lot of these people had been buried for over a month. And they did not give these prisoners any kind of protective wear or even shoes to help with that. Yeah, that's crazy. It is. And the only good news that I can say about this entire thing, it pretty much was the end of the existence of this cult. Thank God. Yeah. I think the craziest part so far is obviously with the amount of people that, um, you know, they killed basically also the fact that, um, They've never been found. Right. They completely got away with it. And I mean, and this was in the year 2000. So, I mean, who knows? Things are so different now. They could look like anything. They could be anywhere. Yeah, but I feel like, I mean, I know it's it's not like, you know, like the richest country. But I feel like technology has gone like so advanced that we should. Well, no, I'm not going to say that because there's like thousands of people who go missing every day or like right. who are missing and we still can't find them so. and that happens in first world countries wild. this is this is a third right. world country this is not you know it's in stuff like that happens where we have all the unlimited resources that we do now and it happens in this day and age so in 2000 it, you know especially for a country like uganda it might have been really easy yeah. to elude the police also that part of the world is huge. Like the, the, you know, like they could go anywhere basically. Yeah. I do want to remind people how big Africa is because I feel like map distortion just plays a huge part of this for me. Africa is enormous. (laughs) It is so big. And a lot of those borders you can cross without a problem. Isn't it as big as uh, North America? I would think it would be bigger, but I can look it up so that we I can let everybody big. know. Okay, so I just looked it up for everybody's benefit. Um, this is directly from usfunds.com, and I'm going to read this as a direct quote. The continent of Africa is larger than the United States, China, and Brazil combined at 30.2 million square kilometers. Its landmass covers 20.4% of Earth's total land area. That's one-fifth. Yeah, and it's one of seven continents. I know. Um, And then it also says the population of Africa numbers 1 billion, while North America is home to 528 million. 
that's how big africa is that's what i'm saying and just like you said you know um like it's a really good and actually they have these um different like graphics where you can see where they put the united states inside of africa and it's comically small (laughs) when you do that so um i'll actually i'll send that to you because it's pretty funny but uh you know just as a reference like i feel like people very much don't realize how big it is because on a map it really doesn't look that much bigger than the rest of the continents but it's it's very very big anyways um that is the end of our case for today and i i mean it's just it's horrible it's horrible i mean thank god it's not around anymore i just cannot believe the insane amount of people that were murdered that were victims in this case it is alarming um I don't know, too. Have you ever heard this before? I had not, actually. Um, I hadn't either, but I don't know that much about cults, except for your couple very popular ones, like the Branch Davidians, and, you know, talking about, like, Waco or, like, Charles Manson. Like, I know those, but I don't really know that much about any of these, which is why this is actually really interesting to do, because I feel like we're getting a lot of new information from this, too. So, which is what we like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Um, which is why I'm glad that we're doing like the podcast because we're just learning I should well you because you're the one our main researcher. Um and you know, it's just like you're you're finding out new things and then giving us all the new things to learn and it's just really cool. Yeah. Um it's interesting, shall I say. Interesting yeah. to learn about. No, yeah. definitely. And I yeah, like but, being the one who does yeah, the no. research and then I can tell you about it and then you're like, oh, okay, cool. You know what I mean? That's right. really definitely. Yeah. Because I'm on the same page where I only know like some of the um you know, more known well known cults. Right. Um like you know, obviously the one I talk about a lot is the um Jonestown with right. Jim Jones. Um but yeah, no, this is this was very interesting. Um, I'm really excited to hear the other ones you have for us. Yes. So. Oh, I also want to tell you, I just found another infographic, which actually I just sent to you, Jasmine. Um, and it's a picture of Africa, and in it they have put the United States, China, India, and all of Europe. <laughs> This is this is comical. This is amazingly like that shit. It's so large. Don't believe anything you see on maps. Anyways, (laughs) you guys can check out some pictures from today's episode on our Instagram at Crash Jurassic Crime. You can check out our Facebook so you can see when we have new episodes come out, and that is at Crash Jurassic Crime. And then um, we also do Twitter, and that's at Crashing Crime. Um, you can subscribe to our Patreon so that you can get those bonus episodes every month. And that's at Craft Jobs and Crime. And if you want to send us a message, you can do that. First of all, on any of those platforms, we'll be able to read it. We're very, very friendly, I promise. Um, but also you can send us a story or a suggestion or anything you want at our Gmail, which is uh craft shops and crime at gmail.com and if you are listening on apple please take the time to rate and review us we greatly appreciate it but most importantly please just keep listening tell your friends that's the most important part yeah uh, <laughs> um let all the people know to come and listen to us we talk about a variety of things you know um 
last, two weeks ago, we talked about drinking the sperm and the bath water, doing the things. Um, and then, yeah, you yeah, know. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Nothing new. We talk about a lot. Yeah. 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 So thank you guys so much for being loyal listeners. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.